This episode is sponsored by Traveling Nice Experiences, here to help you create new memories, one experience at a time. When you're comfortable and ready to travel again, contact Traveling Nice Experiences at www.travelingniceexperiences.com. That's travelingniceexperiences.com. They are ready to create your next memorable experience. Hi, Ryan. Really enjoying your podcast. Not only are you tapping into what listeners want answers to, but you're giving your guests things to think deep about, or you're in tune with what their thoughts are. Thanks again. Keep it coming. Welcome to episode 27 of the Water Word Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Sharp. I'm excited about my first corporate sponsor, TravelingNeeseExperiences.com. Wonderful company, wonderful leadership please consider engaging their services. You won't be disappointed. I'm excited as well about my listeners. I have some of the best listeners across the globe. I am blown away by places in which these conversations are downloaded. I have a global reach. This small idea to inspire has taken on global proportions and i'm excited about that i have the best listeners as well people who affirm who support who share who like review subscribe who leave encouraging voice messages i am inspired by you and i thank you for inspiring me i have a confession to make though this conversation today hits home we're going to talk about financial literacy And financial literacy is the possession of the set of skills and knowledge that allows an individual to make informed and effective decisions with all their financial resources. I have to admit that I have not always been financially literate. I have made poor financial decisions. It could be that first credit card, that car purchased, student loan debt, I'm improving upon those things like we all are uh, by living within my means, by investing more, by being a better steward, by you know paying attention to credit. You know, these are the small steps, reading books that make us more financially literate. And so this conversation today hits home. I am interested in your feedback. Please drop me a line after you've listened. Share with me ways you've improved your financial outlook, ways your decisions have improved not only your course, but those of your children. My guest today is Mr. Kadeem Brown. He's a financial advisor, and we'll talk a little bit more about his journey. But what I will say to you is he's passionate about financial literacy. He uh, went to wonderful schools. Uh, did wonderful coursework. You will hear more about it. But he decided that he wanted to help individuals and businesses improve their financial outlook. So we only hear more about him and his journey. And I'm hoping that by the end, you will be inspired to improve your own financial outlook as well. So join me in welcoming my guest, Mr. Kadeem Brown. Kadeem, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing, Ryan? I appreciate you for having me. I had an opportunity to speak with you prior to recording, and I noticed that you had an interest in 
electric power generation technology. Yes. yes Could you yes. tell listeners or the <laughs> uninitiated what is electric power generation technology? So I so originally I would grew up working on trucks and things of that nature. And so I was working in the truck shop in Mount Vernon. And I that's what I went to school for. I wanted to work on diesel trucks. So I went to Penn State and I went to get my associates in diesel technology. And my first semester there, after I was wrapping it up and I sat down with my um, with my advisor, he let me know, like, you know what, there is a, a couple, there's another degree that you can get. And it's the same thing as you're working on diesel trucks, but they add in like an electricity part to it. And it's just working on generators and things of that nature. So he was kind of saying it's the best of both worlds. You get some you get to know the electric part and the generator part. So I was like, you know what, let me just do that. So I just took that advantage and it opened up a lot of stuff because there's so many jobs out there for, for that field. So you wanted to work with your hands or you yeah. love working with your hands? Yes, yeah, I, I still to this day love working with my hands. Yeah, I, I always was a hands-on person. Hmm. And tell us about your college, Pennsylvania College of Technology. I, I'm, I'm, I'm making some assumptions here. Yeah. But were you raised in Pennsylvania? Oh, no, no, no. I was raised in Long Island. So How did you find that school? What was that journey about? <laughs> so, um, so growing up, I would say I, w I wasn't the best student. I, I, was, I was that C or D student. Uh, I was always struggling with a lot of subjects and things of that nature. So my first thing was, um, is college even for me? Maybe I'll go to community college or something like that. So... I was like, you know what, at least let me not just give it a try. Let me give it a try and let me start going to tours and stuff like that. So as I started going to tours, um, I went to SUNY Cobbleskill for their tour and I was instantly like, you know what, I really didn't like that school. And then I was like, you know what, let me try to go to Pennsylvania College of Technology, so Penn State campus. So I went out there and this was my junior year. And I went out there and after the tour and everything, you kind of speak to the mission people and things of that nature. So I literally wasn't there speaking to the missions um, lady and we were speaking for like 45 minutes or an hour, just going on, telling her about my life. We're talking back and forth, just me and her in a room talking. So literally once I left there or when I was leaving, she's like, you know what? Just send your transcript as soon as you get back and I'll see, like, I'll make sure I look out for it. And I'm like, okay, no problem. I'll send my transcript. So I, I go back to school now the next day and I go to my guidance counselor and I was like, can we send my transcript to this school? <laughs> and then she was like, you can't send your transcript. You didn't take your SATs yet. You didn't do this yet. You didn't do this yet. And it was just like, it makes no sense to send your transcript because you don't have your grades from your junior year yet. And then I was like, the lady told me to send my transcript. I got to send my transcript. And after some frustration, they're like, you know what? Like, we'll just send your transcript. It's not going to mean anything, but we'll send it. So they sent my transcript out. And this was January of my, of my junior year. So they sent my transcript out in early January. And literally, like, the last week of January, I was just looking through the letters a while ago. They sent me an acceptance letter. So they sent me acceptance letters. So I got accepted in my junior year. No SATs, no this, no that. And that was just like... A sign from God was like, let's go. So I literally didn't apply for no school. I kind of took my senior year off because I was like the first one to get accepted into college. And yeah, I just, I just went right there. And what was 
the Pennsylvania College of Technology like once you got in there? What was the culture like? <laughs> it was a culture shock. <laughs> it, was, it was definitely a culture shock because it, 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 I, I'm, I, even though I live in Long Island, a lot of people might think, you know what, it's a predominantly white neighborhood. I live in Elmont. Elmont's a predominantly black neighborhood, um, West Indies and um, and that's what I grew up around. A lot of my friends are from like the Bronx and from Queens. So I'm always around like my, my people, my demographic. So going to culture, it, I always felt like not going to co college. Well, going, being at home, I always was the my minority. Like I, I was always there. So when I went to Pennsylvania now, I was actually the minority. And it was just kind of weird, that dynamic. You have to learn other people's culture. And it's crazy because a lot of people really have a, uh, pre-perceived notion of you already they already think what they think from what they see on tv and it's so crazy because you're thinking like you we're watching these crazy shows and not thinking of anything of it knowing that this is not real life all the reality shows and stuff like that but for somebody who might never met a black person before that is their real life like they really think that is how everything goes so it, it was a culture shock kind of learning other people people learning me and figuring out and stuff like that but i was i managed to do it i feel like i get along with everybody i have great 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 friends some of my best friends i met at that school and things of that nature i know it was the coursework the course. So I struggled. I struggled. I always struggled through all my academics. Like I'll never say I was that great student or anything. I always had to work super, super hard to be average. And I always say that all the time, like through high school, through elementary school, even through college, like I'm a super open with everything. My first semester there, I was on academic probation because it was a shock because it was like one going to Penn State every night is a Saturday night. So every night, if you don't have that discipline, every night can be a Saturday night for you. Parties, 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 parties. When I went there, it was the number one party school in the United States. So I saw a lot of people fall off and fall off. But once I really struggled through that first semester, it kind of was an eye opener. Like, you know, what? I need to get my stuff together. So I really kind of buckled down, kind of got focused. And I just studied. Like, I really just studied all the time, all the time. The library, I started um, exercising, like, the tutors that the school had and things like that. And I still struggled through the next couple of years until I graduated. But I'm able to graduate. And the great thing about graduating from um, any type of institution, they don't have your GPA on the diploma. If it doesn't matter if you get a C, it doesn't matter if you get an A, it's the same diploma that you that everybody gets. So as I say, as long as you can just pass and get through it, then you, you're gonna open up so many more opportunities for yourself. That's a good word, man. And so you got your Bachelor of Science degree in technology management. Yes, yes. <laughs> and, and I think a couple of like, maybe like, um, I think it was my third semester, my second year, as I'm winding down, again, the same advisor, he's always talking to me like, yo, you're going to be great, you're going to do this. And then he's like, I see it in you, you're going to do great. And then he's like, you know what, every time I talk to you, I feel like you have like a business mind, a business mind, or you're talking about money, or you're doing this you might not want to be a technician your whole life. I kind of see you moving up in corporate America. Maybe you should stay here for another two years and really get some type of uh, another degree where we're, you know what, if you don't want to be a technician, you can get into management. You can get in some other administration role, but staying in this field. 
So he kind of explained that to me and I started taking a couple of elective courses in finance and then business management and things like that. And I really, really enjoyed it. So I was like, you know, it's a no brainer. Let me just, while I'm, I'm only, I think I was 19 or 20 at the time. Let me just stay here for another two and a half years and just finish it all out in one shot. You mentioned the school rep was pretty much accommodating that you could submit your transcript without the SAT scores and final grades, et cetera. How were they with the financial aid package? Mm-hmm. So I don't know. So, so I don't think that they were accepting this. Oh yeah, you can submit your stuff. I think that lady just really looked out for me. And I didn't even finish that story because I went back my first semester to kind of thank that lady, like say, I'm here. Thank you. Your talk really meant a lot. And she wasn't even there anymore. She wasn't, she didn't even work at the college anymore. Like she was gone. So I don't, I really think she looked out for me, honestly, but financial aid, um, again, I was blessed. My, my, my dad, he works for Cornell. So they were able to pay a lot of my school for me. But when it comes down to financial aid, I still have a lot of loans. I'm like $73,000 in the hole right now, still paying that off month to month and things like that. But I mean, it's a long-term investment that I made for myself. So it's going to take a little while to pay it off. So financial aid, was, it was there, but again, it wasn't at the same time. So your advisor told you, Kadeem, I'm suggesting you take some finance classes. What was that finance entry like? What yeah. lead us through that journey? So, so he said, you know, you should try this finance class. So me, you know what, bang, you know, I know finance, I know money. Let me do it. Let me, let me go and shoot for the best class and stuff like that. So there was this investment class. And it's a 300 level class. So like in college, you have your 100, your 200, your 300, your 400. Basically, um, freshman, sophomore, junior, senior. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to take this 300 level um, investment class. I'm going to pass it because I already know how to invest in everything like that. So um, I went in that class. And the first day of that class, I knew I instantly messed up because I didn't know anything they were saying and i'm sitting here with next to a, people who want to be accountants people who are an investment advisor like people who are taking finance as their thing and they're their third year in so they're talking and stuff is just going through my ear and i'm just like i don't know anything about nothing in this class and luckily i had one of my friends who sat next to me and he was definitely the reason why i passed that class and he was an accountant he's still a great accountant right now and he definitely walked me through a lot of the stuff. He, I studied with him in a lot of the places, but I think that opened up my eye to say, you know, if there's more to whether it's buying stocks or something than just, you know, liking a company, there's a lot more research that you kind of have to do on it. And that was a good class because that was my first kind of, um, they gave us like a demo account with money in it and we actually got to trade it and to pass the class, you had to be up a certain amount at the end of the year. So, so that was my real kind of feel of really getting a best in a lot of money and working with a lot of money, even though it was play money, it, it really felt real. Did you have that kind of exposure as a child to finance? Yeah. I mean, I know this was an advanced class, but did yeah. you have even the working knowledge of the mm-hmm. terminology? 
Yeah, so, so I grew up in finance. Again, like I said, my dad works for Cornell. My dad's an, actually an accountant for Cornell. So he, he, he's been around finance his whole life. My mom works for like a, a hedge fund. So she, she's there. She's been in finance. And I grew up like going to my parents. They had investment clubs. My parents were in real estate. And so I grew up around finance. I've always known money. So I always had a passion for finance, but I think I always liked working with my hands more. So I kind of just always went with that because it was a lot easier. As a kid, you really don't have any money. Are you really not getting on any type of Ameritrade account or something like that. So working my hands were really, really easy to do. So I imagine the light bulb went off. How did you do in that entry course where you had to do the demo investment of stocks? Did you have a profitable return? Yeah, I did. Yeah. So you had to have a profitable return to pass that class. And, and again, that was one of their higher classes. So that was the, even though it was the entry level class for me, these guys that were in these majors, this was like, okay, this is like my next class. And then I have one more semester and then I'm out of it. So, so um, they had to really get a good return. So I, I did pretty well in that class. Again, I'm a C, B student around there. So I probably fell somewhere along that lines. But again, I, I was able to pass that class. And, and it really opened up my mind and really got me more involved into like trading and things of that nature. So I take it the light bulb is going off because you are now, how close are you to getting the bachelor's? Are you working at like a dual type of degree? Last semester when I was going to get my associate, so I kind of took a step back from my associates and then started working on my bachelor's. So I was doing them both at the same time because the courses kind of intertwined. So in 2014, when I graduated from Penn State, I graduated two times in that year. I graduated in May and then I grabbed with my associates and then I graduated in December with my bachelor's but I only walked one time. I, I chose to walk with my associates and not my bachelors because in my associates program, which is the power generation, there was a much smaller group. There was probably only maybe 12 people graduated from that program. And I was very, very close with all those 12 people because we took all the same classes together. In the bachelor's program, there's, there's hundreds of people graduating from that thing. So I really used to know, I was like, you know, let me walk with people that are actually my friends and that I'm actually gonna know and things like that. So I just chose to walk in my associate's degree and I just got my bachelor's kind of mailed home to me. And in 2014, once you've gone the bachelor's, are you now looking for work in the electric uh, tech <laughs> field? Yeah, we're looking <laughs> on generators. So yeah. um, one requirement for to get my associates, and that's why I kind of held off to getting it for so long, is because I had to do an internship. So when I did my internship, I was calling around to a bunch of different generator companies around the area. Um, one answered my call and then we kind of felt like it was the right fit. So I had to do an internship with them. So over the summer, I was working out in Farmingdale, the company called MTS Power Systems. Still good friends with all of them to this day. And um, after I, I did such a good job that summer, when I went back home on winter break, they rehired me. And then literally the next summer I was off and then they hired me again. So they kept on hiring me every time I would come off break and we just really built a good relationship. And that was basically the right fit. And once I graduated, I'm like, okay, you know, what? it's time to move on to another company. So I was interviewing a bunch of different companies and big companies too, like Caterpillar, Cummins, like, like these huge companies. And 
I just didn't like the vibe because I, I felt like I was just going to be another number there. The MTS power system, even though they were a smaller company, uh, it was a real family oriented. It felt like you were a part of a family. They, they relied on you that. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go right back to um, working in the MTS um, at the generator company I did my internship with, and I'll kind of feel it out from there. What was a day like for an intern? What were you exposed to? What was your role? What were you doing on a typical day? So, so when I first started as an intern um, at that company, it was just following their senior tech around, be, being the help, basically, being the help. And I wasn't really, um, that, that's kind of what I did when I was at the job over the summer in Mount Vernon. So I was just helping out, like changing oils, doing real basic stuff, none of the real tech work. And the tech work in that feels kind of the fun part, like diagnosing the generator, really figuring out what's wrong with it. As an intern, you were just going to do oil change, PM service, like stuff like that. Nothing crazy. If like, let's say a tech needed help on a certain job, because some of these generators are huge. They're, they're the size of houses, some of these generators. So to do certain stuff, you might need two or three guys on one job. So anytime there was something like that, I would kind of get that call to go to. And then later on down the line, they would give me more responsibilities and more responsibilities. But you, you, in any tech field, I feel like you start off at the bottom. And these companies are servicing commercial and residential generators. What type of generators are we? Yeah, and this is funny because this company is when I really experienced wealth. Like this is when I got my first view of doing my internship was wealth because the, this company that I worked for, one of the biggest generator companies in Long Island, they did a lot of residential units and the, the type of people obviously who have generators at their house are relatively wealthy people because it costs anywhere from 15 to 20,000 to put that into your house. So usually the houses that you're working on are very, very nice houses. So I remember one day when I was doing my internship, um, the project manager called me, he needed help taking manage measurements or something. So I went to the job where he's at. So I pulled up at this job, the, the one, the driveway is probably a half a mile to get to the house. It literally took me driving about two, three minutes to get to the house. I finally get to the house and I'm talking and I had no idea that I was looking at the house. I kept on asking like, where's the house? Like, it's a huge building. This building is the size of my church, even bigger than my church. And I'm like, is this somebody's house? And I could not wrap my mind around that this is a one family house because this, their garage is bigger than my current house. They had a 10 car garage with two floors in it. And I could not wrap my head around it. And that's when I figured like, yo, there's a lot of money out here, especially in Long Island. And being from Long Island, I, all my friends are in like the Bronx and the Queens. And I live like right on the border of Queens and New York. So anytime I would go out or have fun, it would be to the city. It wasn't until like I graduated and I started making other friends that I started venturing out in Long Island. And because of that job, and then I would get invited with friends from that job to do stuff. That's when I really started figuring out, like, like starting to see what wealth is. And I'm starting to go in these houses and things like that. And I'm like, wow, they, there's a lot of money out here. So did there come a point where you got disillusioned with the feel that you initially started mm -hmm. your coursework in yeah. and why? I think I, I want to say from 
from the time I got my first job, I was always working with people in their 30s, their 40s, their 50s, 60s. I was always the youngest one there. Nothing changed again when I got like that permanent job working at the generator company. And I would always see people complaining about the same things like, I'm, I, I hate working here. Oh man, I have to work for another 30 years. I have to do this. All grumpy old men, basically. So I'm just like, you know what? I don't want this for my life. And I knew for a fact, even before I got that job, that I did not want that. And then as working at this generator company, I started talking to a lot of the wealthy people. Um, either maybe sometimes you'll run into like one of their wives that are home and they'll, they'll talk to you. Sometimes if you're lucky, you'll run into the actual owner. And I kind of was never shy to say like, yo, what do you do? Like, what do you do? How do you make your money? I always ask that question to anybody. Um, some of them will laugh and just say, give you that. Or oh, I just worked really hard and stuff like that. But some of them would be like, you know what? I do this, 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 this. And it always was like, you know what? I'm in finance. I'm an accountant. I have my own accounting firm. I own a hedge fund. Um, I'm a doctor, but I have my own practice. I'm a lawyer, but I have my own practice. So I started to see like uh, a trend. It was ownership. It, it was, I own this, or I'm at the top of this, or I started this, or a lot of these guys in the lounge are finance guys. So I would hear finance just about everybody that I talked to. So I instantly knew that, you know what? Me fixing their generators will never ever get me close to the point that they're at right now. And to this day, I might not never that that I was um that, that I got to see, but I knew I I could get a lot closer doing something else. And that's when the light bulb went over my head and it was like I got to get out of here. I got to do something. And full time I only worked at that job for about 6 or 7 months and then I just quit. And I quit and I just, that's when I really got heavy, heavy into finance. And when you quit that job, you were by that time a regular employee. You were no, you were, you were not an intern. You, you were hired by that company. Yeah, I was a full-time employee. They gave me a shot. I was there for like six months and yeah. And, and, and again, I'm, I'm really big on not burning bridges and I'm really good on just like saying, speaking my mind. So I went and I had a talk with the, um, the guy who owns the company. I'm still good friends with him to, to this day. And I literally let him know, like, you're the reason why I'm quitting because you exposed me to all of this. <laughs> you exposed me to this whole world. So you got to blame yourself. And it's so funny that one day, so he drove this really nice um, Maserati. So one day he said to me, and this is when I was like, this is when I made my decision, like, I got to go. One day we were sitting down, we were in his office just talking, and I was like, yo, when are you going to let me drive your car? And then he's like, Kadeem, you can drive my car when you're sitting in my seat. And I'm like, yo, he is right. I'm never going to be able to drive a car like that, doing what I'm doing right now. I got to get in that ownership position. So that's when the light bulb really went off. I remember that day, and I'm like, yo. I got, I got to change. I got to do something. And that's when I really started working to save every penny so I can really take a step back. But again, I had a conversation with him when I, like, when I put in my two weeks, I told him I wanted to try to get into real estate or finance. I, I think there's just so many other things that I can do. And then he respected, he's like, you're so smart. I see that in you. And you always have a place if you wanted to come back. So. So you're looking at finance seriously now. What are you considering? Um, are you talking to people in that field to get a, a sense of where you go direction-wise? 
Yeah, so I think when I originally got that idea, like I'm definitely gonna quit, and I kind of first it was real estate. So so it wasn't finance before. It was like I want to get in real estate, but I want to be an investor in the real estate. So once I quit, I saved enough money, and literally I started studying to get my real estate license. So I started studying, I went through the whole course and I actually got my real estate license. So I got my real estate license and I went to like this company that, um, to, to start working and literally my first day that I was going to go to that company, I said to myself, I don't want to be a, a realtor. Like this is not my passion. Like I don't want to sell houses. And to this day, I'm not a big real estate guy. Like if we talk about investing outside and stuff, I'm just not a big real estate guy. I don't, it's not, it doesn't excite me like it excites everybody else. So I instantly didn't even work in real estate. I got my license and everything. And I was like, nah, I don't want to do this. I want to be an investor. Then I was like, how can I be an investor in real estate? What's the best way to make money? Did research and stuff like that. And then I was like, you know what? Let me try to get into finance. Let me start trading. So let me try to get into stocks and in the um in the into currencies and things of that nature. So that's when I did a lot of research on. And again, my parents are both in that field and they kind of pointed me in the right directions. And I had a lot of money saved up at the time. And I literally just started trading. I took a bunch of different courses on um, how to trade and things like that. I went to a bunch of different seminars. I flew all over. My sister was living in Miami at the time. I had a bunch of mentors in Miami. I used to stay in Miami for months at a time with my sister, working with those mentors, flew out to LA, Texas, all over the place, just gathering that information from different people and things of that nature. So that's kind of how I kind of started into the whole finance world. And what did you, cause you're, you're investing in yourself, obviously taking classes, seminars. What did you determine Kadeem you had to do to get to the place you needed to get to? Mm -hmm. So it, it was, it was cause everybody that I met who was very successful, whether it was in finance or even if we go back to when I was working at that generator job and talking to these people, I'm just like, I know I'm smarter than them. I know I'm smarter than them. I know I can do what they're doing. That the only thing they did was put the work in and put the time in. That's the only thing that they did. So I knew for a fact in my mind, if I just grinded and again, from the time I was in elementary school, I had to work harder than everybody else around me to be average. Just to be average, I had to work 10 times harder than the smartest person. So I knew I always had a crazy, crazy work ethic. So I was always grinding. I was always in the books. I just had to rechannel that energy from like schoolwork and stuff like that into my own thing kind of. So even after I graduated, I kept that same energy of studying, of, of going out there, pursuing what I wanted to do. And I still think even today I have a crazy work ethic. I think that separates me from a lot of people because I always say to people who said, how are you doing this? How are you doing this? I tell everybody you are not, I'm not smarter than you at all. I'm not smarter than you. The only thing that I feel like separates me from a lot of people, I'm all about action. If I do something, I'm going to do it 100%. Or if I have an idea, I'm going to execute it. That's where it kind of falls back. Your ideas are probably definitely smarter than mine. You can probably do it in the most efficient way, but you'll never, never outwork me. So that really separated me from a lot of people and got me to even where the point that I'm at right now. So you have your bachelor's in, you know, mm -hmm. working with generators. You're now thinking possibly I need to 
become proficient as a financial advisor. Yeah. And I'm assuming that's the route you took. What is that path like? Did you have to get licensed to become a financial advisor? So, so financial advisor was never in my like that was never something that I sat down and said I want to be a financial advisor. I think it really started when I started trading. I started getting good at trading, then I started networking in the trading community. Started meeting different people. I actually started a company called the Trading Table, where we actually started trading different people's money and things like that. So it got to a point where I started meeting a lot of people, and I met this one guy, um, Handsome Kelly. He's a very good forex trader, and we we connected. He's out here in Queens as well, and we really connected, and we were like we we like the same things. We always talk every day, and we would talk all the time, and we would just have these great hour-long conversations about what we want to do, about how we work. And you know what? I felt like I really found somebody who works just as hard as me. So during our conversations, we're like, you know what? People have to hear this. Like somebody has to hear this. There's value in what we're talking about to each other. So we're like, you know what? Let's just start a podcast. So we instantly started a podcast. It's called What Are We Doing? And the whole premise of that podcast was to have different people on in different fields. Doesn't matter what field you're in. And we would have them on and say, what are you doing in your field? How did you get there? And what are the steps you're taking right now to, to, to take it to the next level? We basically wanted, if you were a lawyer, we wanted somebody who's perspiring to be a lawyer to listen to this episode and know exactly what to do. So we got a lot of value out of that. And for us, we were now networking. That was the big thing for us. How can we network with more people? And that was a way. You want to network with people, give them a platform to talk on. So if you can create a platform and bring people in, people love that. So that's exactly what we do. And literally one day, um, I had one of my, at that time, he really wasn't my friend. I just knew he went to high school. I went to high school with him. I followed him on social media. And I was like, you know what? His name is LZ Ross. And I knew he was a financial advisor. I knew he was in finance. And I was like, yo, you should come on our show and tell us what you do. And so he's like, okay, he came on and then he kind of just started telling us exactly what he does. Like he helps people on um, budget. He helps people manage their finance and he's telling me everything he does. And at that time, um, this guy, he, he has, he was driving nice cars, doing things. He, he, he was, he was having a movie on his Instagram. So I'm like, this guy is really getting to it. So I, he was telling me everything he did. And then I was just like, you know what? I do all that same stuff that you're saying right now. I'm saying this in my head. I do all that same stuff he does, but I don't get compensated for it. So literally after that episode happened, I thought nothing of it. And then maybe like two weeks later, I listened to that episode. I listened to the episode that we have and he's talking. I'm like, you know what? I can probably do this. So literally I reached out to him for a little more information, like what do you do, this, this, this. And he's like, you know what? I just got hired as a vice president of this company right after the episode, right after your episode. And he's like, if you really want to really know more, come down to my office. I went down to his office, we talked for a little bit and I was like, you know, I think I'm really, I really like everything you're saying. And um, it was basically what I was doing, but more on an official basis. I was managing people's money back in the days. I had no licenses. I had nothing. It was just a leap of faith they were talking. They could have sued me at any time. I was taking so much risk on my end. So I was like, you know what? If I really want finance to be the route to go, let me do this the right way. 
So that's when I kind of went and I got all my licenses or not. That's when I went and I went back to him. I said, you know what? I definitely want to do this. And then he's like, okay. I, he said, there's no promise or guarantee that you can do this, but I can at least get you an interview. So he got me an interview and um, from there, I, I just, there was a bunch of different interviews that I had to go on. I knocked all of them out and they offered me a position. After they offer you a position in that field, it's still a six month hiring process. So from the day they offer and say, okay, we want you, you have six months to get every license that you need to be an official financial advisor. So that was um, maybe about four or five different licenses that I had to get in that six month period, plus learning the business, um, actually going out there and getting clients at the same time. So it was a very, very, very rough six months that I went to. And again, I'm not the best student. So I failed some of those tests. I had to retake some of those tests. And again, I always say when you get those certificates, your score is not on it. Your GPA is not on it. You have the same credentials that you do if anybody else. Was this um, commission-based, that six-month trial period, or were you getting a check? So, that's a good question. Was it six? Um, so, no. It was still commission-based, but you got a bonus check of like five grand or something like that once you passed all your tests. So you were still working on commissions and it made it so much harder because you didn't even have all your licenses. So you really couldn't invest people's money at that time. It was a lot of insurance sales and stuff like that, that I was doing to get to qualify to be, um, to get that rec the, to get that number that you needed to actually be a full-time advisor. And it was all commissions. All commission is give you a bonus once you finish that trial period. And to this day, my job is still all commission. So tell, tell, tell listeners, so you mentioned prior to working with this company, you were trading and managing money for people. Yes. Tell the uninitiated, un 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 how do you get individuals to say, here, Kadeem, invest my money? You know, <laughs> were these so friends of yours? No, no, I don't, I don't know. It's so funny. My field is so hard to get money from friends, but complete strangers will give me a, an obscene amount of money just by having conversations with me. But um, it's relationship-based. It's relationship, it's talking, it's being, it's being a man of your word. It, it, it's just honestly just building relationships and networking and trying to be that guy to, 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 I'm trying to say, because it's, it's a hard, you know, so funny, that question that you just asked me, I literally just asked that to my senior advisor. So I'm working on a case with my senior advisor today, and I literally asked him, doesn't it ever get crazy to, to you that we meet random strangers, and they'll give us their life savings to, to, to invest for them? And then he's just saying, he's been in the business for over 25 years, and he said, Kadeem, I still am baffled by that every time somebody writes me a check. And I think that's one of our business. But again, he always says, if you treat people right, if you keep to your word, people will naturally trust you. And, and this business is very easy to take advantage of somebody. Um, we see it on the news all the time and stuff like that. Um, but if you're trustworthy and you do right by somebody, they'll tell somebody about you. And um, just through networking and just through um, people referring me, that's how I kind of grow my business, things like that. But it is crazy that that like random people, most of my clients, I have never 
met before. Yeah, that's most of my clients have never met, especially with everything right now. I'm doing everything virtually. So I have clients in Florida and Georgia, um, Jersey, um, Washington, D.C., Maryland, all over the place. And a lot of these people I never met. Well, you had clients before you started with this company. Yeah. What were you doing for them? Trading or what oh, what aspect? Sure. Yeah, so it was me and I have a partner. Her name's Tajada. She's out in Jersey. She still trades Forex. And we kind of came up with the idea, you know what, let's make this into a company and things like that. And just from networking in different um in different forms and stuff like that, meeting people, going to seminars and stuff like that. We built connections with a lot of good people. And we had this one real estate guy who really trusted us. He gave us a bunch of money starting off. That was like our first big investor, over $50,000 he gave us. And from there, he kind of introduced us to a lot of his friends and things of that nature. Did you guys have like insurance at the time you were trading currency? That's why I don't. I'm looking back at those times and I was like, even though we were making money, we were taking a lot of risk, like a lot, a lot. We weren't doing it legit. Like we literally just got an LLC to kind of protect ourselves just in case we wanted to sue or anything like that. But it, it, it's a horrible way to do it. It's a horrible, horror. I wouldn't recommend it. I wouldn't even put that blueprint on how to do it out there. But but <laughs> that is the position of where we can walk away with people's money. So that is the position in where a lot of people don't know that if you don't have the right licenses and stuff like that, you're not insured. We could at that time took all that money over. One time we had over $150,000 that we were trading. We legit could have just took that money and left. Just because we had no licenses, they, we had, were doing it through a company, we were doing it overseas, like we, we had so much different stuff and it was just was not the right way. And that's when I was like, you know, I really need to get, do it the right way and do it official if I want to make a career out of this. So you're with this company now. Is that company Equitable Holdings? Yes, Equitable Advisors. Okay. Yeah, Equitable Holdings is what we, our IPO is. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. And so you're... You, taking all of these licensing exams, um, as you've indicated, it wasn't an easy road. You had to probably take some ex retake some exams. Yep. And um, when did you finally get through it all? So I finally got through all my exams. I think it was, what year? So last year in April. That's when I finally passed all my exams. But as you start passing some exams and some exams, it opens you up to do a lot more work. So, so I, at first I was just had my insurance licenses. So I was just doing insurance, like term insurance, just literally just term insurance by then. And then I'll get another license. This license allowed me to trade stocks. So now I'll, I'll start adding investments to it. So I'll start bringing on clients there. And then I'll get another license. Now I can charge a management fee to manage money. So now I started getting all these different licenses and it opened up a door to do a lot more stuff. So before I was actually, they gave me a contract and I was hired with the firm, partnered up with the firm. I had a good clientele. Cause again, from my networking, from being a trader, everybody knew me and everybody used to come with me and ask me questions. Now it was literally, oh, you have a question? I'll tell you how to do it. And you know what? Even better, I can do it for you now. So, so last year, April is when I officially got my contract, but I started working with this company in August of 2018. And tell us what uh, does the company 
do in terms of finances? What are, broadly speaking, what areas do, do you cover as a financial advisor? Yeah, so we, we generally focus on wealth management. That's, that's what we biggest, that's the biggest thing that we do. So managing people's retirement accounts, um, life savings, pensions, and things of that nature. This company started off as an insurance company because of that, they're over 150 years old. So because of them starting off as an insurance company, they were really and have the blueprint to, I want to say, put money and know how to invest in insurance policies. So that's one big advantage or the big secret or edge that we have a lot over our competitors. We can hide money in a lot of different places. For ultra wealthy people who don't wanna really pay tax and things like that, we're able to come up with those strategies. So for me right now, I'm, I'm really just getting into a lot of like assets under management. So managing people's wealth and things of that nature. But again, insurance is a big part of my business. I, I know some financial advisors that don't like to talk about the insurance part because people think they're just an insurance salesperson. But insurance is a huge part of my business as well. And that's just because the age, I'm 29 right now. And I think a lot of my friends, the people that I'm around might just um, direct network they're really getting serious with their lives right now a lot of them are having kids and getting married so insurance is something that we need to do it early in our lives so that's just been a big play because everybody's coming in part of your financial strategy or part of your financial portfolio you need to have insurance you need to have savings you need to have good credit but insurance is what's going to protect all your assets from death or disability or something like that so I want to say a big part of my practice right now is insurance and wealth management but I work with teachers, I work with doctors, we do pension maximizations, teach people how to really capitalize on their um, pensions. And I do, I do a lot of educational stuff and budgeting and things like that. So I'm, we're a one-stop financial firm. Anything you need related to finance, we can do it for you. We can point you in the right direction to it. So you are probably exposed to I mean, this is the theory made practical. Yeah. Those classes you took in college, you're now probably seeing, I mean, what you're exposed to is probably mind blowing. Exactly, yeah, yeah. What I'm really, the most, the biggest thing that blew my mind working in this field is that there's so many little stuff that we need to be doing when it comes to finances that we're just not taught or nobody tells us to do it. We always talk about building massive generational wealth, passing down money to our kids or starting something up really good. A lot of the stuff that we're talking about, we can do, but we're just not taught on how to do it. So there's obviously there's a bunch of wealthy guys that are at my firm and things of that nature who've been in this for years. They do the same things that my, my, even my clients, I have a bunch of wealthy, wealthy clients. They do the same thing or the investment strategy is the same than somebody who's bringing in $500 a month than somebody who's bringing in half a million dollars a month. You're doing the same things. You're just doing it on a larger scale. But I think a lot of the times, especially in our community, one, we want that overnight success. We want it now. We want to rush the process. It takes a while to accumulate wealth. It takes a while to build money. It takes years and years and years. And the odds or the statistics of you being wealthy, whatever that is to you in your lifetime, it's very, very, very low, no matter how much money you make. So there's a lot of stuff that you need to be doing in your life that we're not taught that I'm starting to kind of see what's really opened my eyes working here. 
And it's all about education, honestly. And that's why I'm so big into speaking on panels, educating. I go to a lot of schools. I go to um, a lot of colleges really to educate because it, it, it's the mindset. We got to start switching our mindset as a community because if I tell you that you need to put $100 here every single month, you're not going to want to do it you're, you, unless you're educated on why you need to and why this is so super important to your goals. Do you have any regrets about doing the coursework you did at Pennsylvania College of Technology, knowing what you know now? Would you have skipped college or do you see any benefit to those had, um, <laughs> hard knocks and growing pains? I had this I had this argument with my sister all the time. I'm just like, you know what? If I had to do it again, I would never go to college. She's like, Kadeem, at 18, if they just put you on the street and said, go do this, you would not be in the position that you're in right now because you would have went and did something else and led you down some wrong path. And I was like, you know what? You're, you're probably right. I, and I want to say that maybe college, I don't regret that. I don't regret college at all because I, I'm still very, very, very close friends with a lot of people that I went to college with. I go on vacations with a lot of people. I go to their weddings. I know their kids and everything. So the network I was able to build by going to college is like tremendous, like tremendous, tremendous. Um, a lot of my people that I went to college with, they're all, a lot of them are my clients. So um, if, if it goes full circle now, and, and if I went to college with you and you pursued what you're going to, you're essentially making a lot of money, and especially you've been in the field for about almost, let's say, six, seven years now. So you're starting to get to that, that high six-figure level. So a lot of them are my clients now. I'm able to network with them and get in different networks. Uh, I'm part of the fraternity. If I, if I didn't go to college, I would never be able to join that fraternity. I'm able to network in that fraternity as well as do a lot of community service and things like that. So there's a lot of pluses that came out of me going to college, even though I don't use any of my degrees at all. I think, and even for a financial advisor, you don't need a degree. You don't need any degrees, you just need your licenses. I think everything besides the actual degree was, was a tremendous benefit to me. And obviously you have some information now that you weren't exposed to as a child. And you said something earlier. I I knew of people or groups doing the partner or SUSU. It has different terms. Yeah. Well, you said your parents were members of investment clubs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, I think they still, I think that's all Caribbean thing. So everybody in Caribbean, even though right now I'm super against Susus, I was in the Susu in the past. I think it's the craziest thing to put your money there and just wait for it for like a year or whatever type of months. You could have that money kind of grow in some type of investment account now that I know that. So I'm a super against Susus, but that's a big thing in the um, the Caribbean community. But um, yeah, my parents were actually an investment group. So they had a group of people, they all pooled their money together and they kind of, um, it kind of went from there. They, they started investing in like stocks. Uh, some of them invested into real estate together. And that again was, I didn't know how that would benefit me in the past, but now I sit as a, con a consultant to about three investment groups, three investment groups that have millions of dollars in it. I'm their consultant. I'm not allowed with the license that I have to be a part of investment groups, but I can consult for you. So, so, so I'm able to consult, I get a fee, I get the clients in there to do like individual strategies, to work on their strategies. 
But by me kind of being in that room with my parents, I know exactly how to form an investment group. I can form an investment group in my sleep. I know the licenses that you need. I know the companies that you need to form. I know who you need to talk to in the county and things like that. So I know the blueprint of, if you want to have a group of friends, you want to pull your money together, I have the blueprint of how to start it. So a lot of friends and stuff like that, they come to me when they want to start some type of investment group. And again, I consult and I help them start that. And, you know, I, I just want to touch on this because it's so empowering to me that your parents were a part of investment clubs and groups. Was yeah. this the faith community or was this their professional circle or a mixture of both? Mm, I think it was a mixture of both. I think it, I think it was, might've been a lot of people from, I think now that I'm thinking of a lot of like people from like church and things like that, they kind of came together. I think, yeah, I think most of them were all, I know they were in a couple, but I'm pretty sure most of them were like people in church and things like that. Who would um, benefit from your services and who wouldn't qualify? Wouldn't qualify. Um, let's start with who wouldn't qualify. <laughs> um, who wouldn't qualify for me? One, I'm, I'm really only accept clients that are probably like 22, 23 or older. Um, that's kind of the maturity level that I think needs to. I work with the younger clients and it's kind of a headache because um, of the inconsistency, not because you're not really making a lot of money, because at 18, 19, 20, you, you're really still finding yourself. You're jumping around from job to job to job. Um, so it, it's kind of a hard thing to work. But if you're making some type of income, if you have goals, if, if you want to do, if you want to accomplish things in your life, if you feel like, you know what, I'm really bad at budgeting, I'm making all this money, I don't know where it's going. Those are the clients or people that I want to help. I'm in a stage right now where I'm helping a lot of people. It, it's going to be, and the stigma around financial advisors is that, you know what, you need a lot of money to kind of speak to them, or you need to be doing this or making this amount. There's going to be a point that I get to that. And the more months I'm in my career, I see that day coming quicker and quicker. But I think I'm at a point right now, if you're making some type of income, you have goals, you want to start investing towards your future, let's say you have kids or something like that, those are my ideal clients. As long as you're making some type of income and you have a steady job now we can have a conversation. Okay. And, you know, I ask because I see the areas of focus, wealth management, retirement yeah. planning, pension maximization, health and life insurance, which is a big one for people with moderate or low income, education planning, estate planning, and employee benefit plans. Um, so it's it's very diverse and it, it, it indicates that um, some of your clients are very wealthy and others are, you know, it's modest income, what have you. Yeah. Um, so talk to listeners about um, why you are a huge advocate of financial literacy. Um, education is super important, no matter in finance, just about anything. If we talk about health, if you want to be healthy, you have to educate yourself on how to be healthy. If you want to lose weight, you have to educate yourself on how to lose weight. You have to educate yourself because the information is out there. The information is out there for you to do whatever you want to do in your life. So if we go back to finance, if you want to be very wealthy, if you, if you don't even care about wealth, you just want to be able to pay your bills and go on vacation, you have to educate yourself on how to do it. In our community, we're not taught, and I don't want to say our community, in almost any community, ed, financial education is not really taught. It, it's taught from families, I would say, not in whole communities. So I, I would always say like, 
again, I do a lot of speaks. I, I speak to people who are in elementary school. I speak to people who are in high school. I speak to people who are in college. I speak to young professionals. They all ask me the same exact questions. No matter what age your group you're at, you can be five years in your career, you're asking the same question as uh, somebody who's 16 or 15 is asking about finance. You can tell there is no real financial education. None of us learn how to write a check. None of, none of us learn how, how, how to look at interest rates. You don't learn that growing up and things of that nature. So you have to educate yourself because that's real life. When, when, you get out of, when you get out of, not even before you even get out of high school, you have to take out a loan. You have to take out a loan that comes with the interest rate. We don't know anything about an interest rate. When I was 18, I'm just looking at who's going to give me the most money. I didn't care about, about if they're giving me the most much money and it's at 8 or 10%, which is high for a student loan. I just cared about I need that money. So things like that, when you start getting into the real world, there's a lot of things that you need to be doing. And again, the difference between my wealthy clients and my not so wealthy clients, my wealthy clients come to me saying, Kadeem, I need to do this, 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 this. Because they already educated themselves on what they need to do to get that wealth, or somebody already taught them. Because, but you still need a financial advisor because a lot of investments, a lot of strategies, you can't do without a financial advisor. That's why wealthy people always have financial advisors and consultants because even you need licenses to do some investments. Um, and my not so wealthy clients or my clients were just kind of really getting their hands on the financial education. They come to me asking me, you know what, what do I need to do? How do I need to do this? So like all my clients, I, I, I push education. Like my wealthy clients, they come, they give me the money, they disappear. I don't care for them, but I hold my hand with the, with my people who are just kind of getting started because education is so important. So I really try to push that. It's telling too, because I think with the example we drew on, the individuals who were not probably in the investment clubs, but did the Susu and the partner, they had the same dreams and desires and aspirations. They just didn't have the literacy. So they had, you know, the discipline to put money away each week. They clearly had goals for the money, but they just, they just didn't have the financial literacy. And I think that's where... I guess an advisor like yourself could be the bridge between that world and, you know, the world where they're maximizing, you know, their of investment. Because even when I first heard about like the whole like uh, Susu and everything, the way it was taught to me, I grew up uh, in a Caribbean household. I grew up a lot of around communities that's big in like the faith community too. So I thought Susu was the best thing. I can put a hundred dollars here every single month and then the year I get $1,200. Okay, that sounds good to me, but what do we? What do I know now that I'm educating? In the year, money the the um you lose value in money depreciates over time. You lose three percent of that. So even though I'm getting that twelve hundred dollars, not worth what it was a year ago. What if I take that same hundred dollars and I buy a mutual fund and I buy a mutual fund and, and I make six percent on that? I'm getting that way more faster back, and my money is now working for me. And a lot of these susus, you might have to pay the person who's the quote-unquote banker. So you originally take a hit there. So it's, it's not the place that you want to be putting your money if you have gold. There's way better places that will get you way more money if you want to do it. But we're, again, we're just not educated on how to do it. 
And I think a lot of people think, you know, if I speak to a financial advisor, they're going to take all my money and not going to get anything back, basically. How, how do we address those fears of um, individuals? Because you've indicated it's probably easy to do. It's easy to get somebody to give you money and take off. How do we, how can individuals who are interested in getting financial advice do their due diligence? It goes back to education. It goes back. The reason why I'm able to get a lot of money from people and people are able to trust me with a lot of money they're like saving because I always start with education. So if I tell you something and I educate you on something and then you leave the conversation and then you go do your own research and everything that I say, you're seeing that come out and you're going to come back to me like, okay, you were right. So, so again, it, it goes back to the education part. You have to educate yourself. You have to read books. You have to do your own due diligence because nobody's going to do it for you. And even me, I, I guess I might know a lot of stuff, but there's no way over the hundreds of books that I've read, I'm going to be able to take all that information and pass it to you. You have to do your own due diligence. Um, I'm on YouTube now. I have a YouTube channel. I go over four books that I feel like are really, really, really good books that everybody should kind of read. And, and that's kind of where you should start right there, reading. And, and again, I was not the biggest reader. I, I hated reading. I never read, fun fact, I never read a full book until after I graduated from college. It was always cliff notes. It was always stuff like that when I had to do like studies and stuff like that. But I think once I started reading financial books and books of wealthy people, that's where I really found the passion. That's when I really loved. I really love to read now. Do you have examples of people who's, and I'm just using the terminology, you had to hold their hand through the process. They were just, they're the 101s in terms of yeah. investing and um, a story of what it did for them um, going through the yeah. process. So yeah, yeah. So I, again, when I first started, a lot of my friends, not even my friends, just like people in my network and stuff like that, when they come to me to start, a lot of people come with me with, with no real money to invest. Their, their budget is out of whack. They're making good money, but they don't know where this money's going. If you went to a regular financial advisor with those problems, they would not help you because they, they, it's, it's too much time for them and things of that nature. Because I'm in my beginning of my career, I really hold hands with a lot of people because I know I can help them. I might not get paid for it. I, it might not be beneficial to me, but at least I'll help them out and they can kind of spread that word. But when I have somebody who's really just getting started, maybe just getting their career, I start from helping them identify their goals. So I help them kind of identify what their short-term goals are, what their long-term goals are, really what they want to accomplish in their life. And then I kind of break down a budget with them. I show them how to make a budget. I show them how to properly structure a budget, what you should put in your budget, what you should keep out and things like that. And I show them like, yo, at the end of every single month, if you follow your budget, you know what you need to be spending on food, the accounting, what you want to be spending to go out with your friends, what you need to pay your rent. If you follow this budget and don't spend any more, you should have at the end of the month, $300 left over, $200 left over. Let's see if you can do that for three months. And if you can save those $200 or $300 every single month, come back to me, show me what's in your bank account, and then I'll start working with you. So I usually do stipulations like that. And I have a bunch of clients who came back and showed me that. Uh, and so I was like, you know what? Okay, let's start working. And because I need consistency as a financial advisor, it's hard. I have 
close to 100 clients now. It's really hard for me to manage all my clients. But as a financial advisor, once we pass that like kind of introductory stage, there really is no reason for us to speak on a weekly basis or a monthly basis anymore. It's usually just yearly check-ins. But if I have clients, again, who, who kind of need me to hold their hand, it requires a lot of my time. So I want to make sure you're really serious because I don't mind working with you to get to that point, but there's still going to be a point where I'm going to have to let you go free and let you kind of follow the plan that we set aside. So I have a lot of success. Some of my best clients came to me with no money at all in their savings. And now there's some of my best clients doing super, super good. And I imagine in your industry, some of your colleagues are only working with a certain clientele in, in, in terms of income. Of course, of course, yeah. Have you, have you reached that point yet where the, the price has gone up? <laughs> so, in my mind, I've reached that point, but when I first kind of started in this career, I promised myself for the first four years, I, I, I'll help everybody. I'll, I'll do my best to help everybody. In the first four years, I'll never charge to speak at a school or a high school. I've been offered crazy amounts of money to speak at colleges, speak at schools. And I kind of turned that all the way down because I said in my first four year, I wouldn't do, but I do have colleagues that I talk to that I, I, I'm, I'm happy that I even get to speak to them because a lot of these guys don't, won't even have a conversation with you or pick up the phone with you unless you have um, $10 million in your bank account, unless you could start investing with them with half a million dollars and things like that. So you do get to a certain point in your career where you network enough, where you're in the right circles to be around people, because being a financial advisor is very lucrative. So if you do a good job by people, you make a lot of money in this field. And that puts you in different circles with other people who are making a lot of money. So you naturally start bringing on bigger and bigger and bigger clients. So, and what's good about working with somebody like me who's just really started, I have the resources for all those guys. All those guys that you would never, ever speak to, especially in our community. And in my, in my field, um, everybody wants to work with like this black advisor or somebody that looks like them. But quite frankly, the best guys in my um, firm, they might be uh, Caucasian, they might be um, Indian, they might be a different thing. But what I'm able to do is somebody in my community would never even be able to talk to this person. I'm able to now bridge that gap. Some of the best wealth managers are some of my mentors, some people that I work on a day-to-day-to-day -day -day basis. These guys, my best friends will never, ever be able to speak to those guys because they would not want to have a conversation with them. But I'm able to say to these guys, this person has X, Y, Z money. I know they're not where you're at right now, but they can definitely get there. And they would say, you know what? Okay, Kadeem, I'll give you a chance. And I can bring them on as clients. And now you have some of the top money managers in the country helping you right now because I'm able to bridge that gap. I have a lot of uh, administrators in the school system who listen and uh, they do these career days where they bring in professionals to speak to children. And I, it, by all indications, you do that all the time. What are your meetings like with students? So I think with students, it's really just giving them basic knowledge. Like, you know what? Um, maybe you have a part-time job now. Maybe you're working at Foot Locker. Maybe you're working at fast food or something like that. 
I, I kind of get them out the mind tip or kind of joke around with them saying, maybe, maybe you should start looking into Nike stock instead of buying Nikes or something like that. I always kind of say, and I think I'm relatively young still, so I can kind of connect with them a little bit better too. So I kind of just tell them of the same exact mistakes that I've made. A lot of the times I go there not even talking about finance. I go there just kind of talking about just working hard, just working hard, really get focused on your career because they're not at a point where they need to invest. They're at a point where they need to be making the right decisions to make sure they can make as much money as possible when they graduate from high school or when they graduate from college. That's what they need to really be hearing. Um, they, they need to know to make sure you need to be doing something. I'm not the smartest person. If I can do it, you can do it, as cliche as that sounds. But I really try to drill that into them. But I do always talk on like credit. Um, I talk to them why credit was started, how to kind of start your credit. If you're 16 and your parents have a card, maybe you get a secured card for them. Um, I talk about when you turn 18, what you should be looking at when you look at get student loans and things like that. So I touch on a bit of those topics topics but usually it's just I talk about life I just talk about life and I'm always open for like a question and answer that's my best type of discussion is question and answer I feel like you'll get the most value out of that so Kadeem takes a holistic approach by helping families and businesses break down their big financial decisions into small manageable steps mm -hmm. Kadeem could you tell listeners where they can follow you and your journey Definitely. And um, contact you if needs be. Yeah, if you want to really follow me, I think Instagram is the best place to follow me. I'm super active on Instagram. I, I put a lot of great content. I have a bunch of really good short clips. So I have great content on my Instagram. If you want to learn a lot, I think you can learn a lot just from following me on Instagram. So my Instagram is Kadeem Brown. It's just that the, the O in Brown is a zero. So you want to just make sure you type that in. But if you type in Kadeem, you should see me pop up most of the time. And literally a month ago, I started a YouTube channel. Again, it's Kadeem Brown. And I've been dropping videos every Wednesday. And I've dropped videos on how the credit system works. I dropped videos on um, book recommendations that you should read. I have a lot of good content up there. And they're, they're five-minute videos, 10-minute videos, super simple, a lot of information. So those are the, definitely the two places that you would definitely want to uh, reach out to me. It's Instagram or get on YouTube and watch some of my videos. Make sure you like and subscribe too. And your YouTube handle is your name, first and last name? It's Kadeem Brown, yeah. Okay. It's Kadeem Brown. So it's Kadeem Brown now. I'm actually working with the, so I'm really big on social media. And I think a lot of my senior advisors are seeing that as well. So that I'm able to hold them. And I'm working on a deal right now to kind of merge my YouTube channel with somebody, another senior advisor who's doing really good. So that might change in the future. And by the time you're listening to this, um, hopefully it does because that means it's good stuff coming my way. But it, um, Kadeem Brown, search me on YouTube. If you don't see it on Kadeem Brown, then my Instagram always has the links to everything that you can follow me at. We will return after a short break. And Kadeem, I'm inspired by your journey. It tells about someone who kept their options open, who continued pursuing licensing exams, even though it was difficult, who by his own admission wasn't the best student, but applied himself and now is a financial advisor uh, engaged in financial literacy advocacy. So honored to have you as a guest just finally if anyone is on a journey now like you were 
you know, what, what words of encouragement would you give that person? Do it, do it. Like you, you, you're, you're the destiny. Like you, you, you have the destiny. You're, you're kind of the, um, you're the, you're the person that you need to impress. You're the person that if you're going to have to deal with and you're going to have to look in the mirror with 20 years from now, 30 years from now, 40 years from now. The big thing that I always tell myself is that my biggest fear in life is living a what if. I never want to wake up one day and say, what if I did this? That's why I'm super, super proactive with stuff. That's why if I have an idea, I, I go for it. Because I never want to wake up one day and say, what if I really took that chance and did this? Where would I be out in life? So since I know that, I don't mind quitting a job that I, I was in for six months. I don't mind driving Uber for a year. I don't mind working in retail. I don't mind driving trucks for six months. I don't mind doing all that stuff because I want to figure out what's going to get me to where I something that I'm passionate about, something that I'm going to do for the rest of my life, and something that I can help other people at. So I always say if you're in, you're in a journey right now, you don't know what direction to go, try everything. Especially if you're listening to this and you're 35 or younger, try everything. And I always say, even though I'm still young to I'm 29, I feel like my life really hasn't started yet. I feel like I'm just starting to get some traction, figure stuff out and things like that. So you're on, the only way you're going to be able to do that if you really try everything. Try what you like. You have an idea, go out and sh do your best at it. If you, if you want to do this, don't listen to what this person is saying. Just go do it. If somebody's telling you not to do it, go do it still. Whatever you want to do, go out there and do. Don't let a degree hold you back. Don't say, oh, I did my degree in this. Now I have to focus on that. I feel like that's the biggest trap. You spent four years doing this. Now you want to change? Change. Because that degree is going to allow you to get in a lot of doors that you probably wouldn't be able to. So, so if you're on a journey right now and you want to accomplish something, just do it. Because nobody cares about anything else that's going on in your life. People will talk to you and tell you that you shouldn't do that because of their experiences. But you're your own person. So you got to kind of go out and make your own life. Kadeem, thank you so much. Um, you've given us incredible nuggets and I, I thank you just for your time and your willingness to share about your journey. I will be sure to put in the episode notes the spelling of Brown in your uh, on your Instagram <laughs> handle and um, your uh, the other information at, so that people have ways to follow your journey and contact you should they um, need a financial advisor. Kadeem, thanks again, man. Thank you so much for sharing no, no, thanks your time. Thanks for having me. I really appreciated this. Again, the platform that you're building right now, I love it. I'm always one to jump on these because I started with these podcasts doing this and things like that nature. So I know the impact that you're going to make because there's people that still listen to my podcast, no matter how old it is. We don't really do episodes anymore that tell me like, yo, that really changed my life. That really helped me really get stuff focused. So what you're doing right now is super, super important because somebody's going to listen to either my episode or somebody else's episode. And it's really honestly going to change their life. So, so I'm here for anytime you need me, just let me know. I appreciate it, man. Thank you so much for being a guest on the Water Word podcast. Blessings to you on your journey and much success as well. Thank you. I appreciate it. Talk to you soon. Take care, man. Let me show you this.
we all live inside a bubble, right? This is our world. We go to church here. We work over here. We go get our coffee over here. We go to this park over here. We usually go over here to, you know, hang out with friends. This is our favorite club. This is our world. This is our favorite spot on the beach. We all live in this bubble. What you got to do to get the life that God wants you to have, you got to put more air in your bubble. You got to blow your bubble up. Expand yourself. Take yourself out your comfort zone. Do not live in your bubble. Put some more air in your bubble. If you stay in your comfort zone, that's where you will fail. You will fail in your comfort zone. Success is not a comfortable procedure. It is a very uncomfortable thing to attempt. So you got to get comfortable being uncomfortable if you ever want to be successful. Start putting some pressure on. Put some pressure on yourself. Get out here and get about it. Look, I'd love to sugarcoat this thing for you. I'd love to tell you, look, you can go out here and get rich, do a couple of things, dang, they ain't happening. You got to get real doggish. You got to get downright funky if you want to make it. Now, like I was telling you before, if you want to be ordinary, you ain't even got to listen to me. Just go on about your business. If you think ordinary's cool, ain't no problem. It's some really, really wonderful ordinary people. But if you are sitting in this room and you have extraordinary aspirations, then you're going to have to do extra. You put extra on top of extra, uh, on ordinary and you come up with extraordinary. It's no other way. I'm sorry. But here's the fact. All of you have extraordinary capabilities. All of you. You have to decide if you are willing to do the things to put you in that category.